So this is a good time of year to talk about gift giving. Actually, um, we should have talked about it maybe a week or two ago. If you're thinking about it now, it's probably a little bit too late. But I did want to talk about the idea of an unexpected gift. What is an unexpected gift you've received in your life? Maybe one that you was unexpectedly awesome or maybe like unexpectedly not so good. How many of you, uh, you love this time of year because how many of you would raise your hand if you'd say, I really like surprises? Not everybody, actually. How many of you, even outside of this time of year, like surprise? You like surprise all year round, like the good kind, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll just say that. Um, yeah, uh, life, life, life gives you a lot of surprises. I was thinking about how how hard it is now to surprise kids with Christmas gifts. When I was a kid, uh, when we wanted to find out what we were getting for Christmas, we would go into my parents' closet and they had the gifts, like we would know where to look, they're like up on the top shelf. And so we'd go in there and we'd try to shake them and try to figure out what are the gifts on the top shelf, like what, what do they have out there, and, 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 and then try to act like we we're surprised when we open them on Christmas. Uh, it's a lot different now because there's a digital trail to everything you do. And so now to hide it, it's like how do I hide my Amazon browsing history? My kids can read that too. They can figure this out. Like it's a very, it's very, oh kids, don't look up the Amazon browsing history by the way. I know you're in the service. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. And I, I was thinking about like these unexpected and these surprises, and I, and I thought about how life deals out unexpected gifts from time to time. Some of them are awesome, right? You have, and maybe some unexpected things happened to you this year. Maybe this year uh, you met the love of your life and you hadn't met that person before and this was an unexpected gift of the year. Maybe this year that your company was like, we've been actually making so much money, we're going to give you a bonus and here it is. And you're like, this is awesome, an unexpected uh, gift of the year. Maybe this year you got the job that you finally wanted. You got into the school that you wanted. Life gives out a lot of unexpected gifts and many of them are awesome. And life gives out unexpected gifts, and many of them are not so good. And maybe this is the year that you or somebody you love got a cancer diagnosis. Maybe this is the year that they said, I'm sorry, but we just can't keep you on at work, that uh, things are not going so well. Maybe this is the year that you broke up with that person that you had been together with for a long time. Maybe this is the year that a rift started between you and your mother, and you've not been able to resolve it. Maybe 2018 was just a really hard year for you. Honestly, it was a pretty hard one for me. But I think if you look closely at the unexpected hard stuff, we can actually see some unexpected really good things in the middle of all that. So tonight I want to tell you the story of Christmas, the original Christmas, because in that story, in that account of what happened there with Joseph and Mary and all of that, there's a lot of unexpected details in there that I want us to get to, and there's a lot of, lot of things that even in the midst of what looks like a pretty weird or, or difficult situation, there's some really great things that went on there. The original Christmas is the, it's an ancient story of a couple who was unexpectedly pregnant, who had to unexpectedly travel, and then, and then gave birth in an unexpected place. And so I want to read to you the classic text for this, Luke chapter 2. I want to just read it to you because there's a lot of details in here that are, that are pretty unusual, and I just want to talk about them. It's Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and we'll put it on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, 
The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, Luke writes this and was recording this for us, and there's some details in here that let us know that Luke is a careful historian in what he's writing. If you've never read this before, if you've never thought about it before, notice that it doesn't say things like, once upon a time, there was this couple, and then Jesus came and all that. Uh, In fact, he gives some very specific details. He says, Caesar Augustus sent out this decree, so he was the emperor. Uh, He mentions Quirinius as governor of Syria. So you've got two historical figures that we know things about today that we can go figure some things out. And you could actually cross-reference when was Caesar Augustus in charge, when was Quirinius governor of Syria, what year would that be? And then he says there's this census, this is the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria, that that a census went out, um, that everyone had to go back to their ancestral hometown. Now we read that and go, okay, there was this census, they had to go somewhere. But in the ancient world, had you read that, and, you would, and, and, and Luke says a census went out when Quirinius was governor of Syria. There was actually two censuses that, sensi, censuses? I don't know. There was two that happened. I don't know. It's like cacti. I'm not sure. Uh, there was two that happened, and the second one, there was a riot. It was actually a, a, a big thing. So the readers of this originally, it would have said, okay, when Quirinius, this happened, what Luke's dating this and says, this happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria, there was a census. And, and it's sort of like, you know, the first one, not the one you're thinking of that had the riot around it, just so everyone knows this is when it was. And everybody reading this in the ancient world would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, I remember when that was. Caesar, Quirinius, the census, got it. We can date this to about somewhere between the year 6 and 4 B.C. is when this happened. Now, I know that's weird because B.C. means before Christ, and we're talking about his birth, and how was he born six years before he was born? Don't get hung up on that. It's just a calendar thing. It's just weird. The people back then did not know they were living in B.C. It was just like regular Roman time or whatever. So, um, so Jesus is born somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C. And some of that might be unexpected, what I just told you, because this is actually written history. This isn't a, a fairy tale. And, and the fact that there are, there are, there are dates and uh, that that would be weird to us. We're, we're used to history um, being like December 7th, 1941, was, there's an attack at Pearl Harbor. We're used to that kind of detail. But for the ancient world, this is very detailed. Um, Luke, in fact, the author here, Luke, he says at the beginning of the, of the book of Luke, he says, I'm writing this down so you'll have an orderly account so you know what happened. He, he claims right up front that he's writing history. This is not a nice story to make us feel good. It's a historical account of actual events, and I think that's helpful to us, and I hope that's comforting to you. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live by faith, which means you, you believe in things you can't actually test and see. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. I wasn't there, and I have to believe it, but I think there's enough details in here to show us it's reasonable to believe these things. I know there's going to be some crazy stuff. There's a virgin birth and all that kind of stuff. But it's reasonable to believe that, that Luke has actually taken a lot of care to give us the details here. Um, and so our, our faith is, is informed by history. So why did they th- have a census? Well, they're the government. They want money. They need to register everybody, and they're going to get that, they're going to get that coin. They're going to get that tax dollars, right? That was the point of the census. Not much has changed about that in a couple millennia. Government still wants their dollars, Right, so they send, they, they do the census, everyone's got to go register. And Joseph takes Mary to his family hometown. They're living in Nazareth, and that's in northern Israel by the Sea of Galilee. It's right next to a larger Roman city named Sipporah. 
um, the, the ruins of Sipporah so you can still go to today. It's a really cool spot. Um, and it's very close to Nazareth. Nazareth was just a small town. Jesus probably worked as a carpenter uh, in Sipporah as an adult. So they go from that area uh, 90 miles-ish south to Jerusalem. Outside of Jerusalem, there's a small town, a really insignificant little town called Bethlehem. And where they end up is at Joseph's family's house, an in-law's house. Now, this is the part where I'm going to ruin Christmas for you uh, because the, the text we just read said there was no room for them at the inn. And ever since then, we have celebrated Christmas and done the Christmas pageant where there's like a rude innkeeper who tells Joseph and Mary, you can't stay in our hotel. Here's the deal. In the ancient world, they didn't have hotels like that in little towns like this. Something like a hotel only exists in large cities, and it's for like Roman officials who are traveling around to have a place to stay if they're in town. So little village of Bethlehem doesn't have a hotel. That's not, that's not what was happening here. Joseph and Mary were going to uh, his family's home, his ancestral home. So in the ancient world, in the Jewish world, they would, they would live, um, you would live with your aunts and uncles and cousins and all of these people. Everybody kind of lives around in, in buildings around a courtyard, and that's kind of your family compound, that, that, that area. And so Joseph lives away. He brings Mary to, the, uh, to his, his family compound, and so that's, that's, where, that's, where, that's where they go. Um, think about this. I want to think about this from Mary's perspective and Joseph's perspective. Think about it from Mary's perspective for a second. She's young, maybe 14, something like that. She's terrified. She's pregnant with a baby that God said, you're going to have my baby. She has to tell her fiance, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, I, wait, wait a second, how are you pregnant? And she's like, don't worry, it's God's baby. And that's not going to go over well. You know, she's, he's not going to buy that. He's like, yeah, sure, right, it's God's baby. And it says, it says that, that Joseph made up his mind to divorce her. They weren't married, but they were in this betrothal period where they're engaged. He's like, I'm, I'm done with this. And then an, an angel has to tell Joseph, no, no, this is okay. This really is God's baby. But that whole thing's weird. Mary's got to be terrified of this. Then there has to be this long road trip when she's very pregnant. Um, uh, she, she is, and she's going to be uncomfortably pregnant, and she's going to ride a donkey. Those of you who have been pregnant and very pregnant, how comfortable would that be on a bumpy road on a donkey for 90 miles? Even now, they tell you not to travel like in a car in the last two weeks or like a plane or anything, but like that's a rough go for her, right? She's got to travel, young girl, she's got to travel on this road, bumpy, 90 miles to his parents' house, going to meet the in-laws, um, and that's going to be super awkward, right? She's going to meet them, and then they're going to be like, Joseph, we're so good. And he's like, yeah, it's my fiance Mary. She's very pregnant, and don't worry, it's not mine, it's God's baby, and they're going to be like, uh, what? Uh, what is she doing here, and, and, and why, you know, like how awkward is that? She's pregnant and claims it's not Joseph's kid, that it's God's kid. That's a weird situation. So Mary's got to be scared, frustrated. This is, this is overwhelming, right? Now think of it from Joseph's perspective for a second. He has to trust that his teenage fiance is carrying God's baby. Like she told him that, and he's got to believe that is the case. And he's trying to do what's right. I have to go for the census. Um, my, my, my girl needs a ride. 
uh, I'm going to get a donkey, maybe the best donkey he could find. I don't know if that's the best choice. He's got to introduce her to his family, and he knows his weird uncle and his aunt and his sisters and what they're going to say, and that's just really weird. And can you imagine when he stands there and says, there's Mary, that's, she's carrying God's baby. They're saying to Joseph, like, are you an idiot? Like, what do you mean that's God's baby? That's not your baby? Like, why did you bring that girl here? And they probably had some names for her that I won't repeat from stage of what they thought she was or the kind of person that they thought she was for being there um, and and being pregnant. And and so it's awkward for Joseph. And Joseph has to stand in this place of between his parents and his bride-to-be. If you've ever had to be in a a confrontation between your spouse and your mother or your father, you know how awkward of a spot that could be to stand in. And this is what Joseph has to do. Also, I want to throw Joseph a little bit of a bone here. He's definitely not the star of the show, right? Jesus is the star of the show. And maybe in best supporting actress role, Mary is kind of a big deal. Uh, The church has celebrated Mary forever. There's songs to Mother Mary. Not a lot of songs to Joseph, let's be honest. Nobody really cares that he's there, you know. There's a Hail Mary. There's no Hail Joseph prayer, not a one. Why? Could we throw the guy a Hail Joseph prayer? Just one. I mean, he's there also. It's kind of a big deal for him as well. And Joseph has to step up and become the uh, foster and adoptive dad to a baby and raise a child that's not, that's not his kid. It's, it's, kind of, um, it's kind of incredible. So here's the reality. Um, th- this awkward situation develops. They, they don't show up and get turned away by a hotel person. Um, they show up, and what is more likely is they go to Joseph's family, and they say she's not going to give birth in this house um, and the word, the word Luke uses for no room at the inn, the word inn is, is a word that means guest room. And so they're saying, like, she can't have the guest room. Everybody's here for the census. She's not going to be there. You guys can go in the basement, though, if you want. There's animals down there. This is where we keep the animals when it's cold. Uh, you can go down there, and she can give birth down there. But we're not going to have her giving birth in our house. A lot of that is unexpected, isn't it, for the Christmas story? It's weird to me to think that this is how God chose to show up in the world. I mean, God could have shown up any way he wants. God could have shown up in royalty. God could have shown up in Rome. That's what I would have done if I was God. I'd shown up in the palace. There would be trumpets playing. There would be a parade through the streets. God is here. It's a big deal. I'd go to the biggest, most important places I could find. And instead, God shows up with a poor couple in an awkward situation in a small town in an insignificant part of the world. This is how God uh, chose to do it. Why did he do it? Why did he show up that way? Why did Jesus appear in such an unusual and unexpected circumstances? Here's why I think he did it. Because life deals out unexpected pain and problems. And life deals out all sorts of stuff that we would rather not deal with. And and God wants to identify with that and wants to show up and say, no, I, I get it. Um, I, 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 get, I get your pain. I get your struggle. And when I say God deal, life deals out unexpected pain and problems, maybe right now you're going, dang right, Chris, that was 2018. All of 2018 was an unexpected problem and, and frustration. And it was all unwanted. And it was all full of shame. But maybe God shows up in this way to say, like, no, I, I get it. I can, I can empathize. I can sympathize with you. 
In fact, later, the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament wrote this about Jesus, referred to Jesus as a high priest, and it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says, look, Jesus gets it. The, the, the baby that grew up to be the man, he gets what it's like for the awkward to be all around him. How many times did Jesus hear other kids whisper, oh, that's that weird kid that like came, like th- that his mom says, Joseph's not the father. That's that weird family, you know, Joseph like raises that kid. It's not really his kid. Like how many awkward things did Jesus hear there? How, many, uh, how much do we see in Jesus' life as an adult of all the things he had to go through? He knows what it's like to be betrayed and abandoned and, and just shut out by people who love him. Jesus understands all of that stuff and the struggle and people trying to put shame on him. And he understands what it's like to suffer and to die. We don't have someone who can't sympathize with us. We actually have someone who gets it completely. Do you get what a big deal that is, that God gets us? I mean, if God is all-powerful, you might not care. Like, who cares how powerful God is? I don't have enough power to stop drinking. That's, that would be helpful, but, I mean, I'm glad God apparently has some power, but I got issues right here and now. I don't know that I care if God is powerful. What good is that to me? Oh, Christians are going to go to heaven one day? That sounds nice, but right now it's hell, and I need to get through this. I don't care what's happening one day. How do I deal with this right here and right now? Oh, Jesus has some nice teachings. That's great and all. I'm glad Jesus said nice things, and I'm glad he taught the golden rule and all of those kind of things, but his teachings aren't very helpful to me right now. I'm dealing with this mess right here. And at Christmas, we see a God who gets it and he understands us, and he shows up, and he knows pain, and he sympathizes with us. I wonder this about Joseph. On the night Jesus is born, and Joseph is sitting there in that little animal shelter at the bottom of the house, and his parents are upstairs disapproving of him, and he's just traveled on a long road that was uncomfortable. He had an uncomfortable road trip with an uncomfortable wife who wife-to-be, who, who uh, claims it's God's baby. And, and Joseph knows, he's, he's heard from an angel, he knows this is God's plan in some way. I got to think that Joseph, in that moment, is sitting there going, God, your plan is awful. This plan just sucks. I, I, do, you have a, do, you have, do you have another one in mind? Because this is horrible. And have you ever prayed that prayer to God? Dear God, your plan stinks. Amen. Have you ever prayed that prayer? And when you pray that prayer, when you are sitting in your car and you don't want to go back in the house, when you're sitting out there in the car, have you ever prayed that prayer where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I can't go in there one more time and have that same conversation and deal with the same problem. Your, God, your plan is awful. Have you got anything better in mind? When you pray that prayer, let me ask you this. What kind of God do you want to be on the other side of that prayer? What kind of God do you want hearing that? Do you want a God who says, well, I can forgive your sins? Because in that moment, in the cancer ward, in it, it, when, when you get fired, when you're sitting in that driveway in the car, you don't care if God can forgive your sins. That's not what you need. Great, glad you can forgive my sins. Can you forgive hers too? Because I'm pretty tired of hers. Can you forgive his? I'm over his stuff. Can you deal with that? You don't want a God who can forgive sins in that moment. 
you don't want a God who's like super powerful, who's like, yeah, I know you're in a hard spot. That stinks for you. I got a lot of power, but I'm up here. You're down there, and don't worry about it. We're, we're separate. I, I, I'm not going to really intervene. That's really not what I do. You're just going to have to work this out. Is that the God you want hearing your prayer? I think what you want when you pray that prayer, dear God, your plan stinks. Um, I think you want a God who goes, yeah, I get it. I've been there. I know what awkward is. I know what it's like when people heap shame on you. I know what it's like to be spat upon. I know what it's like to lose someone very close to you. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to die. That's the God that we actually have. That's the God that we celebrate at Christmas. One who shows up in very humble circumstances and says, I know. I I hear you. I can walk with you. Christmas is the ultimate proof that our creator has entered our world and he sees us. And so let me challenge you to make a commitment to walk with him, to to, to be with him in in 2019. He has made all the effort to, to, to be with you and to reach out to you Make 2019 the year you say, I'm going to commit to follow him. I'm going to get to know him. We're not going to be in here as a church this coming Sunday, but we will be the following Sunday, starting January 6th. And we're going to talk about Jesus. We're doing a series called The Main Thing, and we're going to talk about Jesus as the main thing and about the baby who grows up to be a man and what he believed, what he was about, because he points us to God, and, and, we, want to, we, and, and, and we want to follow him and, and know him. And we're going, to, we're going to get all into that and maybe... Just join us. Maybe 2018 brought you lots of unexpected stuff. I don't know what 2019 is going to bring for any of us. My guess is it will bring a lot more unexpected stuff. Some of it will be good and some of it won't. But let me challenge you to get to know Jesus now and make a commitment to him now and walk with him now so that you're ready for whatever unexpected thing comes your way. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the historical record of Mary and Joseph and how Luke recorded that so that we could be here today and we would still know and we would still have a a record of what happened in the ancient world. God, may we celebrate that today as truth, not as a, a fun, inspirational folklore or fairy tale, but we would celebrate it as the truth. Um, of the world, and that you, that you came down, that you took on flesh, the incarnation, that you came to earth to be with us. God, I, I pray for everyone in this room who has prayed that prayer this year, maybe even this week, and I pray that you are with them in a, in a special way in this season, and that they will sense your presence um, in friends, in, in, uh, in, in prayer, in music, uh, in, in their relationships, and in, in the way they they walk through life, they will, they will sense you, you're, you at work here. Uh, God, may we be a people who commit to follow you no matter where you lead us um, in, in 2019. God, thank you for the gifts of the unexpected. You show up in places we're not expecting, in ways we weren't expecting, at times we're not expecting, and you give us everything we need that we didn't know we wanted. Um, and so I pray you do that again here um, for us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen. We are going to take a moment to celebrate communion together about Jesus who grew up to die um, for our sins. 
And every week as a church, we do this. We take bread and juice that represents the body and blood of Christ. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to take that as, as Landon leads us in a, in a worship song. We're going to sing some Christmas songs together. Um, so you're going to have the opportunity to go out the left of your aisle, down the front, come around, take the bread, dip it into the juice, and then go back to your seat. We've got a couple. We're going to sing a bit and tell you some things before we go. I just want to read this poem to you because I think it's really good around communion. It kind of ties the birth of Christ to communion. Listen to this. Um, it says, and is it true? And is it true? This most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea, become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent and hideous tie so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. Let's stand together and sing and take communion. are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth to love one another. 
Oh 